1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best in the brightest in the world of business, marketing, entrepreneurship, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I am excited, folks. This is a great guest. Today on the podcast is Jay Rosenzweig, an internationally renowned social impact entrepreneur, humanitarian, trained lawyer, executive recruiter, and leadership strategist, it's a lot right there. And he is the founder of Roses Wagon Company. Jay is an expert in designing, building, and attracting world-class teams. He also consults large global corporations, emerging growth to mid-sized businesses, professional service firms, pretty much anybody who could use his expertise. And he also invests and advises in several leading-edge tech companies across North America and beyond. But the part that I love most about Jay, which we will dig into, is he has served global human rights causes for well over two decades. And it's been internationally recognized for the annual Rosenzweig Report on Equity, which he has published for the past 17 years. And this report has received endorsements and contributions from a wide range of leaders and personalities such as Justin Trudeau, Alyssa Milano, Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Cuban, Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and many, many more. You get the point. So, Jay, we have at least five different careers to cover and a lifetime of interesting stories. So let's get to it. Jay, welcome to the podcast.
2: Happy to be here. Thank you, Adam.
1: And, and thank you so much for joining me. You and I have been building up. Well, first, kudos to my um, my friend and your friend, Chris Adamo, for connecting us. You are somebody that, that I've that admired. Girl. Someone that I, I've admired, Jay, from afar, through social media, through LinkedIn, through the work that you're doing, both on the humana- humanitarian side as well on the, on the recruiting side. And it's important for folks like myself who are solopreneurs to find mentors from afar, people that we see doing things the right way. So thank you so much for connecting and uh, being open to building relationship.
2: Thank you, Adam. Flattered, flattered to be here, and uh, looking forward to digging in with you.
1: So, before I hit the rewind button here, um, topic du jour: I want your hot take on Kanye West and his comments.
2: Well, look, uh, uh, it's complicated. Um, he's clearly someone who needs uh, needs help. Um, he's he's to me, he's not mentally. Stable. I'm not a psychiatrist. I haven't spent a ton of time with him, but it seems self-evident. He's talked about his own struggles from a mental health uh, point of view. Um, the problem is we can't ignore the words that he said. We can't sort of slough it off and say, well, you know, here, here's a person who's hurting. Here's a person who, who has issues. Let's just ignore it because he does have millions and millions of followers. Right. And millions and millions of admirers who who uh, might take his words seriously. I mean, what the heck does CON mean? Or what did he mean by CON? It's scary, right? Um, it's scary stuff, and it, and it needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be stamped out. Um, so we need to speak out against it. I've been I've been doing that, been speaking out against the rise of anti-Semitism in general. Um, so that's kind of my take, you know, in in, in a nutshell. I mean, we could do. We could do an hour just on that, oh, but, um, we but that's, can. that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, in some, that's kind of my take.
1: And, and, and I echo your thoughts on that one and, and there's absolutely no place on that. So I want to hit the rewind button. Thank you so much for sharing and being open about that. And I want sure. to the rewind button. Um, we go deep on this show and I, and I loved, I love history of where my folks come from. And you're originally from Montreal. Um, and you watch your dad Meyer build an electrical contracting company from scratch. Without a college education, tell us tell us how growing up, uh, you know, with your father influenced your entrepreneurial spirit, your drive, and you know, eventually, you know, you're very well, you know, formally educated. Why go down that route? A lot of questions there. I don't normally do that on the first. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, my uh, gr- my my grandparents are from Eastern Europe. Um. Uh, both sets both my mom and my dad's uh, uh parents both came from kind of the romania area uh let's say romania but the borders kept you know shifting and they continued to shift russia romania kind of thing um you know they all came on a boat with nothing my mom's dad uh um arrived after his bar mitzvah to make to make hay for the family uh he he got all odd jobs as. uh waiter, he made pickles and uh, wine for Moishe's, which was a very famous steakhouse in Montreal. Oh, yeah. my uh, And they all lived in that area. And my dad's dad uh, was an entrepreneur. He actually opened up a, a women's uh, apparel store on St. Lawrence Street uh, and was quite successful, but, but got um, really decimated by the Great Depression. And... That affected my father, uh, I think, pretty deeply. Um, He wasn't able to uh, go to university, but he was always fascinated by electronics and electricity. Um, He ended up, um, I think, also kind of at the age of 14 or so, walking up up and down the streets um, with wires and broken radios offering to help people uh, to fix their electronics. He eventually, during the uh, war was recruited to um, help develop complex sw- switchboards for battleships and a year later, he, um, he came back and worked for a big electrical contracting company for a year to learn the business and started his own business uh, around the age of 20. It's called Utica Electric and eventually bought a, uh, a duplex in, in, a, in an area called Ville Saint Laurent in Montreal. Um, rented the upstairs and the downstairs. I lived in that house for the first 25 years of my life. And he built, um, he built an office out of a piece of the garage. There was nothing fancy or wasteful at all about his running of the business. And for better or for worse, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of business talk at the, at the dinner table. <laughs> and I kind of soaked it all in uh, and, uh, you know, got that entrepreneurial bug in me. I think my dad felt that um uh you know with an university education um I might be able to have a, a greater level of stability a greater level of uh security um so he was thrilled when I went to university and went on to law school at Miguel and that's kind of uh that's kind of the story of uh, and, and, my dad's and, influence and 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 uh you know kind of the entrepreneurial blood that I was born with
1: and 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 the and the feeling deep inside that anything was possible, right? To see an immigrant family mm-hmm. come here and, and make it and, 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 and be successful. So, um, this is, this is a fun little story. Um, you almost missed the opportunity to attend McGill. I love if you could share that little tidbit. Yeah.
2: Good research. <laughs> so, um, I, I did a philosophy degree and, um, and by the end of my philosophy degree, I had pretty good marks and I ended up applying to a number of law schools across Canada. My first choice was uh, to, to continue on and go to McGill for many, many reasons, um, including financial. And uh, I got into a bunch of law schools pretty early. And here I am uh, concurrently backpacking with a buddy of mine through Europe and I hadn't heard from McGill. You're like, come on, um, so I should be my a preferred parents,
1: list at this point. You would think. You would think. <laughs> so,
2: my, uh, my parents were anxiously uh, taking in the mail to see if I'd get into McGill. And they subsequently went on a little bit of a vacation themselves and asked our neighbors to take in the mail. So, uh, and, and specifically to look out for, for letters from McGill. Um, long story short my neighbors call my parents on vacation and tell them uh, Jay didn't get in to McGill. Um, So we decided I'd go to University of Ottawa Law School. I'm told while I'm backpacking through Europe, I leave Europe early. We were about to go to Turkey, my friend ended up continuing on into Turkey. I flew home, my parents very kindly went to Ottawa, got me a nice apartment, Mm -hmm. Um, I came home Checked out my apartment in Ottawa, it looked great and I was set on going to Ottawa. What I decided to do and this is kind of um, a thread throughout my life is um, just for self-edification just so that I can learn from my loss or from my, uh, you know, from my, uh, you know, defeat in this case, um, call the dean of the law school at McGill and ask if uh, she might be so kind as to meet with me to... To go through what, you know, what, what, uh, where I fell short. Want to understand and why s- you didn't get in. Exactly. But not in a defensive way, just for my own self-edification. And for I made learning, that clear of with her. So I show up, uh, at her office. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I hadn't shaven, uh, from my Europe trips, I had this big beard. I had a white tank top on, jean shorts, you know, cu- oh, cut out jeans, wish, you know, with wish frills. Wish we had with that white picture. frills. wish we had that picture to
1: include on the show graphics here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, I walk (laughs) in, uh, the dean opens up my file and she says, who told you you didn't get in? (laughs) So, uh, I explain the story. She's like, I don't know what your neighbor read, but you're actually still on a waiting list here. I'm not supposed to interview uh, prospective students, but while you're here, tell me about yourself. So, we had a a really nice conversation. Really hit it off, and uh, the program that I was applying for would give me two law degrees in four years, both a common law and a civil law degree, which really allows you to practice anywhere. So she asked me, "Which stream would you want?" So I said, "Well, I'd like to start off. You start off in either common or civil." So I said, "I'd like the common law stream, ideally." But um, so she said, "Well, that's impossible." And to which I said, "Well, I'll take anything. Like civil's fine. In the end, you get both degrees anyway." Right. Next day, I'm lying in bed. The phone rings. Jay, yes, uh, it's Dean Juke here. Um, I'm pleased to tell you that you've gotten into the, to our law school and, and I've given you common law.
1: Look at that. So, what's what's the lesson for everyone out there? Is it, to, is it to always question? Is it do you do diligence, you know, trust your gut? What's the big takeaway on this one?
2: To me, the big takeaway is um, to continuously... Uh, try to learn even from your losses, continuously feed, uh, reach out for feedback, don't be defensive uh, and be open uh, because you might what you might think is a no may not actually be a no. In this case, it was absolutely a, uh, not a no, but in, in, in some cases, no's are a lot softer than you might think. So, not every, not every knows the same way.
1: Yeah. The, the, feedback, the feedback one is interesting, and we'll get to that. We'll we'll put a fork in that, a pen in that one for a moment when we get into the recruiting side um, of your sure. life. But I want to just kind of close the loop here because you followed down the path of law. And correct me if I'm wrong, you know, but when was that point when you said, I don't know if this is for me in the long run? Because that's a career – I mean, this is a major pivot. I mean, we're not talking, hey, listen, I was – you know, a, a, a kindergarten teacher, now I want to be a fourth grade teacher. We're talking about a complete profession change, a real pivot. Corp-
2: corporate uh, corporate law uh, in law school, I found to be very boring. I actually, even though I'm in business, I often found the study of business in general, and even as a corollary business law to be boring. Um, I had a philosophy background that's something that has always permeated within me uh, whether educationally or not and it was more of the philosophical side that i found to be interesting even in law and that geared me in a direction of uh, criminal law and and really understanding issues of of the charter of rights and freedoms and constitutional issues things like the contradiction or apparent contradiction between free speech and hate propaganda, things of that nature. So, uh, I ended up articling in, in the area of criminal law. And I have deep, deep respect for criminal defense lawyers because they're really the lifeblood to our liberties and freedoms. I think they often uh, get a bad rap. Um, uh, so, I went that route. But what I found out practicing day in and day out In the context of criminal law, is that it's uh, it's a pretty rough world. It's it's a it's a very dirty world in a lot of ways. Right. Um. And and I realized that I didn't want to do that uh, on a on a day to day basis over the long term.
1: Did it not feel good inside, Jay? Like what was it? What was it? Did it not? Where did it not resonate? Was it was it within your heart, your soul, your relationships, internal, external?
2: The approach to um, I don't want to divulge too much, but the approach to as much as you um, sharing to trying to help uh, clients um, was very much on the line in certain cases, uh, including on the side of the prosecution. Um, so I was faced faced with a with a moral dilemma that I won't get too deeply into as a student on a case that wasn't. Uh, It wasn't a severe case, but it was a case where I had to handle a scenario where um, what was at stake really was a kid having a criminal record permanently. And what I was told by one of the partners was the police don't lie some of the time, they don't lie um, uh, a bunch of the time, they lie all the time. And, And sometimes, you know, when we're fighting in that kind of fight and the liberty of our clients are at stake... You got to fight fire with fire. I'm not implying that I was asked to to, to tell an untruth, but you're you're very very close to the line.
1: Your and, moral compass uh, is you question you know the moral compass at times. Exactly. Or you're you're, asked, to, you're uh, asked to question your own moral compass.
2: Exactly, and it's not that I don't, uh, as I say, respect defense lawyers really really deeply. I just felt it was a world I didn't necessarily want to be in, but I did continue. In the law, um, to a degree, uh, and 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 in a big picture sense, in that um, I developed a really great relationship with a law professor at McGill University named Irwin Cotler, who uh, is an international human rights champion. He represented people like Nelson Mandela back in the day and Natan Sharansky, and went on to become Canada's Attorney General and Minister of Justice, and um, he ultimately, when he left the Canadian Parliament, started an organization called the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. And he asked me to bo- join his board and I ended up um, uh, becoming the chair of his board to this day. Um, and uh, we do have a, 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 a legal staff. Uh, we have legal counsel. Um, I'm not digging in deeply on the legal aspects or the legal details of the files, but It's something that that I I care very deeply about. In fact, it took me to Ukraine uh, a few weeks ago uh, representing the organization and and legal filings that our staff developed, including analyses of the uh, Russian Federation's breaches of the Genocide Convention uh, statutes to set up a um, special tribunal to investigate crimes of aggression. uh, UN resolutions and a ten-point action plan, which we recommend the community of democracies implement. So I did keep my hand in law, um, and uh, and it's certainly highly related to the area of human rights and, and criminality. Uh,
1: and, in and a way that, that comp-
2: I'm in a way that I'm comfortable,
1: and yeah. and in and in a way that really is a, a thread of your humanitarian efforts and the incredible work that you do. But just for a quick moment there, I want to pause, and I would greatly sure. appreciate you know, the work that you're doing, um, the fight in the Ukraine is a, something that's close to me and my family, my wife's family um, being from there. Uh, what is going on in the ground as of two weeks ago? Well, it changed as of yesterday. There was an attack yesterday and this morning again, yes. even in, in yes. Kiev. But what's, yes. what's tell us, please, please share a little bit firsthand experience of the will of the people because that's why they're winning this war.
2: That's absolutely right. Um, On the Russian side, you have a bunch of kids who are um, confused, unmotivated, um, not understanding really why they're there. Whereas you have Ukrainians who are very clear in terms of their mission. We've been invaded and uh, we're going to kick you guys the hell out because you have no business trying to take over our country and the resolve is palpable. The the, the courageousness uh, and resiliency of the Ukrainian people is just absolutely incredible. Anecdotally, what I was told was, so I was in Kyiv, uh, which is under attack right now. And um, Kyiv was, was the first place that uh, Russia attempted to occupy and the world and including the United States and Russia itself figured that Ukraine would fall pretty quickly once the capital was overtaken. And it was pretty dicey, I think, the first week. Um, And as I understand it, um, the leadership went door to door to civilian homes and dropped off machine guns and recipes for Molotov cocktails and said, you know, we need you to the extent you're able to and, and you have the courage, get out there and fight. And they did and they were miraculously able to push the Russians back. Um Incredible. So, when I was there, I was told being in Kiev is as if you're in California and uh, the fighting is in Texas. So, I felt relatively safe, um, although, of course, I knew that anything can turn on a dime. Any moment. As you As you could see, like, you know, if I'd be there right now, I'd be obviously under a barrage mm-hmm. of rockets that are flying down. The other thing I'll say is in terms of the administration, because I met a lot of the leadership, um, almost every sentence begins with the words when we win, when we emerge victorious, dot dot dot. And they're not bluffing. Like for them it's like a fact. Like there's no other way. Uh and it's just absolutely it's remarkable.
1: Yeah. And incredible. And 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 kudos for the for the effort on on that side. How would, um How did your family feel about you going over there? So, um, uh, it varied.
2: My son was like, that's so cool. (laughs) Like that's that's, so amazing. That's so amazing that you're doing this. So he's, uh, he's, he's turning 20 in January. He's 19. He's in his second year of engineering at Queens. Um, uh, my daughters were a bit more tentative, but supportive, um, and my wife looked listened very carefully as i did deep analyses of the security situation on the ground where exactly i'd be going right. uh, f- from the point of view from Pol- you arrive in poland and go to the uh, you,
0: you drove the, in right the
2: poland ukraine yeah we drove mm-hmm. from poland to we flew to poland drove from poland to the ukrainian border how that was all going to work who who were the who was in the security detail what's their qualifications you know, what's what's the root? What are the levels of risk? So, she was listening very intently to all my analyses. And at the end of the day, um, although outside members of our immediate family gave me a lot of grief and they were actually pretty pissed off at me for going, um, my wife finally came to me and said, Jay, I really believe you should go. I've, I've thought about it. I've listened to your analysis. I, this is something too important for you not to do. You know they say Raúl Wallenberg. They say Raúl Wallenberg. Not that I would ever compare myself by any means to that hero. Um, one of the one of the thing, the biggest things he had to overcome, and one of the things that people respect him most for, is uh, many of his family didn't speak to him because he was going into the 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 heart of the Holocaust. Um, when he had no skin in the game, as Professor Kotler describes, one man with enough compassion to care and courage to act really transformed universes. Um, but uh, he, he, you know, Wallenberg said, I had no choice. There was no choice but to help. Yeah.
1: And, and for you anyone know. out there who's not familiar with the old Wallenberg story, I'm gonna, I'll link it up in the, in the show notes here and you could dig in and really understand that plight.
0: Hey, everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years, and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows, and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at the This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcast, or you're using it for B2B, B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at the and learn all my secrets. Thanks.
1: Going back to the to one of the key takeaways of having uh, such a supportive partner and 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 wife uh, in in your life, how is she part of that transition into the world of recruiting?
2: Uh, so she played a, a, a pivotal role. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be in recruiting. Um, so, as I alluded to, I, I realized that the day-to-day street street law, if you will, criminal law uh, wasn't for me and I was thinking about alternatives uh, to the practice of law in general while keeping my hand in, in the law in a sense through the human rights work. Um, during those days, it was late 90s, um, you know, you look for jobs in the newspaper, there's a career section, you open up the career section. And um, so, my wife's looking through the uh, newspaper and she sees in the career section an ad which says, looking for a director of business affairs for a large entertainment corporation, looking for a lawyer with 12 to 15 years of experience, which I didn't have close to, um, applied to the following recruiting firms. The following recruiting firm. Um, I knew nothing about recruiting, but I figured I guess recruiters find people jobs in business. So, I'll apply to that job. Turned (laughs) out to be IMAX um, in the hopes that I can hustle my way into this recruiting firm and they can help me find a job. You're going to
1: backdoor it, Jay.
2: Backdoor it. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I apply and an associate from that firm calls me and says, um, you know, we got your uh, application. You're way, way, way underqualified for the job in terms of years of experience, but you have a very interesting background. Tell me about yourself." So, I did and he said, you know, you got a great way about you on the phone. Um, you obviously have, uh, you know, some smarts. We're looking for an associate here, would you be interested in applying? So, at first I thought, mm. what, I want to be a headhunter for a, just became, uh, you know, a lawyer not that long ago. Um, but the more research i did into the high end of the recruiting business and the more i looked into the backgrounds of these uh partners at the firm i mean incredibly impressive backgrounds i thought to myself hey maybe this is kind of uh, one of the world's you know nicest little secrets i'll i'll give it a <laughs> shot <Stop. laughs> don't <know>? tell everybody <laughs> just tell everyone so here on the podcast <laughs> there you go yeah we can edit this part out <laughs> so uh anyway um I, I took the job and uh, took to the business really, really quickly, helped grow that business to the point where Corn Ferry, the largest high-end business um, in the world, uh, in our sector, bought us, became one of the youngest partners globally at the world's largest firms. And, and um, uh, the rest is history. Eventually, I broke away and started my own firm and and been- to compete with the big firms. And uh, that's where we're at today.
1: And that's where we're at today. And, and thank you for tying yeah. up that, tying that piece up nicely because it allows me to kind of dig in to a couple of things here. And you and I spoke about this on one of our first connection calls. How crazy was it to be one of the youngest partners at this giant firm? And you were still relatively new to recruiting and you were in kind of in a right place at the right time opportunity. Let's call it what it is. Or a couple yeah. of those key lessons of jumping into giant, you know, a, let's call it what it is corn ferry is a corporate beast of a recruiting firm. I mean, they senior level executive search, multiple sectors. What were a couple of those early, um, you know, let's call it what is kind of missteps that you had to learn the hard way in a big, in a big organization.
2: Well, one of the things about me, well, first of all, it was, it was wonderful. Um, I learned a ton, um, you know, offices in every major city in the world. Um, business was just flowing in like, um, you know, I was in Canada uh, where I still am, um, you know, head office in the US of some company needs a head of Canada, you know, it just it just gets sent off to us to, to execute. Um, so, there was a lot of great learnings, resources at your fingertips, always wonderful from that point of view. Um, I'm a very apolitical type though um, and I'm not one to... You know, if someone makes a joke around the boardroom table, even if it's a boss, most people will kind of, you know, force a laugh or whatever. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll um, grin pleasantly, but you know, I'm just not the type. It's just not in me to kind of kiss butt, if you will, and stuff of that nature. So (laughs) that that might have been used against me a little bit. Um, The the other thing is, uh, yeah, the politics and there's a lot of bureaucracy in big firms. So, you're having meetings for the sake of meetings, you're having sector meetings and functional meetings and and conferences which are just meetings for just meetings. Just often a waste. Yeah. And um, the other thing is uh, when you're such a big firm and you have specialists in various um, sectors, those specialists are conflicted all over the place. You're not allowed to recruit from a client of yours. So, if you're A real estate specialist, and you're working for five of the top real estate (laughs) uh, companies uh, in any given sector. You you know you have one hand tied behind your back when you're doing uh, a recruiting project. So there's a lot of positive in the big firms, but but a lot of stuff that really wasn't for me. And I'm kind of my own person, so uh, I felt that if I could start uh, a business high end to compete with the firms and eliminate a lot of the the pieces that actually adversely affect the client that I can I can have a leg up and 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 have a successful business and
1: and, love and that's what I
2: ended up doing.
1: Yeah, I love I love the mentality and, and and it's kind of kind of what I did you know along the same ways of how I saw there was an opportunity to go out on my own, remove a lot of the BS and do things my way, and it just kind of worked out that. Um, but let's talk about recruiting for a moment here. You know this this show's sure. origins are in recruiting. Um, what advice, I mean, in this day and age, I mean, the market has changed, the technology has changed since you were out there. The barrier to entry is extremely low. I think that a lot of recruiters, especially junior on, just rely on the spray and prey of modern CRM and not forming those relationships, those real deep relationships. But what advice would you give newer recruiters out there to be genuinely successful for a long term career in this industry?
2: I think it's really important to, uh, to first of all, establish great relationships, um, the, you know, the the sort of arm arm's length spray and pray is not the best method to uh, uncover the best candidates. Um, it's not the best way clearly to persuade <laughs> an individual to spend time with a client. Um, so the relationship piece, you know, technology is table stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, with LinkedIn and all the other technologies we all have at our fingertips, it's made it, uh, easier to find individuals, easier to uncover individuals and easier to be able to reach out to individuals. Then, uh, the question is how do you differentiate yourself? Um, what we tried to do is spend a ton of time with our client, not even talking about the role at play for a very long period of time, uh, in the initial uh, relationship building and foundational piece, what we want to understand is uh, what are the business objectives really underlying one's decision to make uh, a hire? And what we then do is marry a research strategy designed to meet the business issues at play. And, and if you take that kind of approach, you will uncover uh, unusually interesting candidates that may not come from the obvious places you may have thought of. And that's a really, really big deal. I remember uh, a number of years ago, a big banking client saying to me, you know, we've used all the big firms for a senior marketing role and it never seems to work out. And my question to them was, where are these marketing folks coming from? Banks (laughs) Banks <laughs> and and they said, yeah, the answer was from other banks because right away knee jerk reaction. Let's find. Let me go from look at the competitor. competitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What then? The question was, what uh, what's what's most important to you? Like, what aspect of your business is most important to you when you think of marketing? And the answer was retail. So my answer to them from that point was, if retail is important to you. Um, and you feel that the banks aren't innovating from retail point of view, we should be looking at the real retailers like of The course. Gap and whoever, right? Um, different who sectors. Have made innovations. Different they're, sector. They're, they're years, yeah. exactly, and they're years ahead of the banks in terms of marketing innovation within the of retail. You, you have thousands and thousands Preach. of people at the bank who understand banking. Um, you need someone with the functional expertise. So, we ended up going out and finding them. Someone from with true uh, retail experience and and uh, our client told us that it was the best hire he ever made
1: and that' and that's really the, that's really the way to separate yourself in recruiting, but it also takes let's be honest here, it also takes a, a client who who is open to that mindset, who Correct. doesn't want to just check the boxes and have, have the similar If you really want to innovate, you need to look outside the sector uh, attitude, aptitude. Uh, and the skill set. I want to spend a few minutes, and thank you for sharing that, talking a little bit about the philanthropic humanitarian work that you do. Um, it's something that I really love to do when I talk to guests like yourself who make it not just a pa- I mean, this is p- a part of your life, Jay. And talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about the origins of the annual Rosenzweig Report and what what is the impact and purpose?
2: Right. So um, two years into having my own firm, this was 2006, um, my uh, my professor and dear friend Erwin Kotler is in parliament um, and he is the first man on the Women's Caucus. He transformed our Supreme Court into the most gender representative in the world. And it got me thinking, what's the status of women here in Canada in business? And much like in the United States. Um, all public companies have to disclose the compensation of their CEO, CFO, and the next three, uh, it could be five, next three to five um, uh, most senior executives. And so, what I decided to do is look at the 100 top Canadian companies and measure the percentage of women in these top roles. So, um, what percentage of women are in the top 500 or so roles? And the first year I, des- I did the report... I determined that uh, the percentage was four point six percent, which was extremely low. I thought the numbers would be low. I didn't realize they were that low. And from then on, I determined you didn't that I was going to continue digits. doing. I didn't, and and so what I determined was I'm going to continue doing this study year after year until hopefully one day I work my way out of a job. Really putting a mirror to corporate Canada uh, to understand exactly which companies have who, which companies don't have any women which have improved, which haven't year after year after year. So we're now embarking on our 18th annual report. Um, uh, Eventually, I began bringing in influencers, as you alluded to earlier in the call, to um, uh, provide comments, quotes, endorsements uh, in order to amplify the discussion even more and galvanize their own communities. Um, And last year, I also integrated um, the NFT world and the Web3 world with it. We had boss beauties on the cover page and uh, we're beginning to formulate what we're going to be doing this year but it's really to advocate for women
1: in leadership roles in general i I love it and just from a business perspective out of pure curiosity did any of those companies that you called out for having less representation actually hire you to recruit for them uh yeah (laughs) they did
2: (laughs) they did the ones the ones that uh didn't have anybody uh, in terms of women in their leadership ranks, mm-hmm. as well as um, organizations who had women leadership who appreciated the work that I did uh, ended up coming to me and, 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 you know, giving me a whole bunch of business. Mm-hmm. So, it, is ha- it has had uh, business benefits, even though I wasn't looking for that corollary benefit, it, it has happened.
1: And and it's given you tremendous access to the the biggest uh, players and and I don't like to use the word players, but the the biggest people in the world. I mean, I've seen recent photos with you with with, with Hillary Clinton and, and Deepak Chopra. But one that stood out to me, and going back to the Ukraine, was with um, President Zelensky's wife, the First Lady. What was that experience yes. like? And what, and what was that kind of, it was As remarkable. much as you're open to sharing, uh, what, what yeah. that conversation was.
2: It was absolutely remarkable. So. Um, I go to Ukraine, I meet with the leadership, I I, uh, present uh, our uh, documentation, which they were very appreciative of, and and we continue to have Zooms with them and work on issues such as justice and reconstruction and uh, sanctions, etc. And a couple of weeks later, it's the United Nations General Assembly in New York. So, I was invited to participate and potentially curate uh events uh for uh the first lady of ukraine. Um and that's
1: incredible. Both
2: <laughs> both both pretty small, um really tight, highly curated events. So one was at uh, the Met in the Lincoln Center, which I didn't have a lot to do with in terms of um organizing. And uh it was just a very, very special Uh, event with incredible interactions. Hillary Clinton was there and the Secretary of State of the UK and people like Jimmy Fallon and Matt Damon and uh, a number of influencers. And um, it was really great in terms of bringing attention to the cause of the Ukrainian people. And um, the First Lady was introducing her new foundation, which she set up. And then um, the next day, uh, we were able to uh, have a, a, a nicely curated breakfast At JP Morgan, which happened um, through a phone call I made to my dear friend Carol Stern. Carol Stern ran UNICEF uh, for a number of years, UNICEF USA, and now she's the executive director of the Walton Foundation. Uh, Walton Foundation, uh, the Waltons, of course, own Walmart. I indicated to her that we're looking to do something for the First Lady of Ukraine. And Carol's like, Well, that sounds amazing. I'm going to call my friend Mary, who runs wealth management at uh, JP Morgan and before we knew it we had a private little breakfast for her Jamie Diamond and his wife were there a number of their highest net it's incredible uh, worth uh, clients uh, I brought Bob Ray um, the Canadian ambassador to the United Nations and millions of dollars is being raised now to help them with the ultimate uh, the, reconstruction
1: the power of connection Jay that's mm-hmm. the power of connection. I mean, I can answer this. Mm-hmm. That is definitely at the top of your list of superpowers. And how do you use that for good? I, I assume you had a couple of minutes with her. Hopefully, you did. Would you? Would you share what? Oh, you know, that I did. Conversation?
2: Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, basically, I spoke with her both at um, at the Met Gala and the next morning at the breakfast, and just reiterated uh, um, the support that I have for the Ukrainian people and government personally. Um, I, uh, I summarized for her the people uh, and administration uh, leaders who I met while in Ukraine um, and the various documents that they have given our, uh, our work. And uh, she just indicated um, how appreciative uh, she was of, uh, of, of the support we're showing, including the Canadian people in general and the Canadian government which I think in a lot of ways is punching above its weight in terms of the assistance that we're providing. And the prime minister of Ukraine was was at the uh, gala as well, and he specifically said to me how uh, appreciative he is of the Canadian people and government. So it was really a wonderful uh Wonderful, wonderful interaction.
1: Well, definitely, definitely keep the keep up the good work there. So, Jay, let's let's bring it home. I mean, you and I could talk for hours, wealth of information. We could go down rabbit holes. We could make U turns, wrong turns, right turns, all different directions, and and really um, blow conversations out, which I hope to do in the near future. But what what's one lesson a a early Jay could maybe teach a Jay right now? Maybe something you forgot about. Maybe like I kind of strayed away from that.
2: I think um, it's something that I've done. I've done my whole life, but it doesn't hurt to be reminded of it, um, and it doesn't hurt to remind your audience of it. And that is to keep going, no, no matter what. Keep going, and if you're alive and breathing, pat yourself on the back because look at all of the ups and downs you've had throughout your life. We all have, and you're here, and you're standing, and you're breathing, and the most important thing in this life is to actually live a full-fledged life. Love That's it. the purpose. That's the whole game. Live a full-fledged life.
1: Speaking of living a full-fledged life, Jay, just to show you how deep we go here on the on the podcast, my show producer wanted me to ask you, when are we getting a follow-up to the classic right here that you did with Aon Clark? And I'm going to link that one up <laughs> in the YouTube for everyone to watch it. Jay rocks the mic on that one. Tell us a little bit about that. Um brief moment into uh the world of singing so music is a major passion of mine which we could
2: do a whole podcast on um <laughs> uh, I've, I've been playing piano uh since i'm like five years old it's fantastic by the uh, way. thank you thank you i love uh <laughs> i love writing music i met uh, aeon clark uh when he actually performed at my middle daughter's um uh, but mitzvah party and I was blown away by his talent turns out that Aeon um, grew up in Toronto in the music scene he uh, he was actually in Drake's first band he was the vocalist Drake was the um, was the rapper but mm-hmm. I think ultimately Drake's um, Drake's dad suggested to him you know what you should also sing um, so that's kind of how things evolve with Drake um, but but aon Aeon's got the the most incredible voice and so, I approached him and said, you know, it's my son's bar mitzvah party uh, coming up soon and um, I don't want to do the conventional speech, I want to write a song for him. So, good. And uh, so, we sat down in the studio and uh, we wrote a song. It was actually, I have a music writing partner, his name is Mitch Magnet Um, and uh, Mitch Magnet, uh, a, a while back before this happened, uh, got new music equipment. And he did a sound check and just randomly sang a tune with some words. The tune and the words just sounded really amazing. So, I called up my buddy Mitch and I said, you know what? I, I'm writing a song for my son. I love that thing you did in the sound check. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, that was just off it was the like top a, of my it, head. It was, like a, it was like a throwaway,
1: right? Like, he was just yeah, messing around. I'm like, yeah.
2: I'm like, there's something very beautiful there. Would you mind if I took that and worked with Aon and uh, we wrote a full song out of it and performed that's it for great. my son? He's like, have at it. Like, I forgot about that, you know? That is and, cool. And uh, so, that's what we did and I unveiled the song for my son. The audience can see the YouTube of uh, of it happening live I and the reaction it. And that you, my son had. Yeah,
1: And you did not embarrass your son. That is the key for any dad here. So, let's, let's bring it home, Jay. Um, this show is my masterclass. I get to my personal masterclass, I get to interview incredible human beings like yourself. And I'd love to ask, what is the single greatest piece of advice you ever received that you take action on every day? You
2: can never control 100% what happens to you, what happens outside of you. Uh, but what you can control is uh, the insides, your experience of life, misery and joy, which is what it all boils down to, is all coming from the inside. Um, and if you understand life from that perspective, you'll be able to handle anything that comes at you with the, with the utmost of grace.
1: You know, what's interesting about that one, and thank you for sharing that, is this is one that I keep hearing over and over again, and it's something that I personally need to do a better job of and hold myself accountable how I handle personal, professional interactions, how I know that I could always be pushing myself to do and react better. So thank you so much for sharing in that. And Jay, last but not least, you look back on your life. You look back on the good times, the hard times, the easy times, and all those times when you really needed to dig down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity to drive yourself forward, to keep things moving in the right direction, to do the best for your family and yourself. And on the flip side, Jay, when you want to show extreme gratitude, for this life that you created, this family, and all the good that you're doing for this world. What keeps you in focus? Jay Rosenzweig, what is your North Star in life?
2: What keeps me focused is uh, is a zest for life, is, is, uh, is understanding that uh, we're only here for a very short period of time. Reminding ourselves, I think, of our mortality is the ultimate path to, to joy and living life to its fullest. And that's the perspective uh, and North Star I bring.
1: I love it, Jay. This has been incredible. I want to thank you for your time, your um, vulnerability, your openness to sharing with me and my audience. And I truly look forward to continuing to build our relationship and how we me can too. continue to add value for each other. Looking forward to meeting you in person down in Miami in a couple of weeks. Um, everyone, please uh, to learn more, check out dotjayrosenswag um, dot. dot uh, sorry www.jrosenswag.com. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more?
2: I think that's a, that's a great start. Um, and, uh, you know, the the jrosenswag.com really takes you to a whole bunch of places and tabs and whatnot. So that's You'll perfect. You'll get
1: there. Jay, yeah. thank you so much for joining me.
2: Have a great day. Thank you.
1: Take care. Awesome. And everyone, and, and, and everyone out there, uh, this is a good one. This is a great one. Uh, we went deep. We explored some areas that are very personal, very timely, what's going on in the world. Uh, Sharing means caring. If this episode meant something to you, please share it. It means the world to me. I want to thank everyone for joining me. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on other social media channels. Remember, look out for one another. Take care of each other and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody.
0: Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepodcast.com.